Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, here, it's August 5th, 2020, uh, recording episode 4 with the one and only Paul Banducci. Hello. He's sitting next to me smoking a nice cigar. Um, we are here live at the Bulldog Pipe and Cigar Lounge. Set it right this time, Paul. Hope you like that. Gets better. <laughs> Every episode, production value gets a little better. A little bit better. We'll, and we're going to be... Uh, We'll have a microphone on this next one. So I know the audio has been a lot better lately, but it should be even better after this. Um, today, a little bit of a little bit of change of plans again, <laughs> which we seem to keep running into, which is no problem. It's actually I kind of like it. I like when I when I find out something happens and I go, I bet Paul's going to want to talk about something. And I it's cool to not know until I get here. Because it kind of makes my uh, it kind of makes my brain have to you know if you don't have time to like write stuff down and say what you you know what I mean like like it's like when we were gonna do the mask debate I had a whole list of things where I'm going okay I'm gonna bring up this 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 and this and then all of a sudden I get here and we're not doing it and then it's like surprise surprise and then I have to kind of go off the top of my head which which challenges everybody a little bit but it's it's nice and today's kind of the same situation so uh, yeah we had a fellow um another another good friend of mine uh who was going to come in and we were going to do a rapid fire q a because he's a i think he would probably consider himself a minarchist if he mm -hmm. can put words to it he's but he's still developing his um philosophy and ideology and we thought it'd be a great exercise to do a, a live rapid fire q a where he asks us questions that you would that you know a person would ask when they're still discovering their way i can answer that for money, <laughs> I can't answer that for money. Uh, but uh, but unfortunately, his family fell ill, so he's he's taking care of them today. So so yes, for the second cast in a row, we are I don't want to say winging it, but we'll call it spontaneous order. Yeah, as an anarchist, I love uh, the concept of spontaneous order. So that's what we're calling it, spontaneous order. I like that. For those of you that don't know what spontaneous order is, developed by Mises, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was developed by Ludwig von Ludwig. I can't say it right ever. Ludwig von Mises. It's German, so just just throw it all in the back of the throat and right. utter some. And you know, Mises words. was a man. What a what a brilliant guy. But basically, he developed this kind of. Should we call it a theory? I guess I guess technically it's a theory, right? But it's. I mean, you've seen it in practice quite a few times, where human beings um, interacting in their own self interest will naturally create order in society and that it's not it doesn't have anything to do with coercion or threats from the state or anything like that from an um, academic sense it is it is a theory but from a practical standpoint we do it every day sure sure yeah so we can call it a theory but but uh, it's really really not um so today we're going to be talking about one of probably one of my favorite subjects and it's something that i didn't even think about to talk about but it's the education system the public education system or as i like to refer to it as the public indoctrination system um Paul, you so, want to start first? Uh, sure. I suppose since uh, it came to my mind last night when I was uh, just having a discussion with, again, it, it seems like this has always had happens, having a discussion with somebody on Facebook, and um, they threw out some pretty intense ignorance about uh, homeschooling. And my wife and I, we homeschool our two children. I have a daughter who's nine, a son who's five, and, um, and we homeschooled them actually for the entirety of their educational careers if you will and our experience has been a fantastic one uh, challenging but fantastic and time and time again we are consistently reminded uh, how good of an option it has been for us so it struck a nerve when a couple of guys 
on, on this thread that we were on basically got on and threw out a bunch of tired old tropes about homeschoolers being maladjusted, mal, you know, not socially adjusted, right. weird. You know, the, the one guy was like, yeah, they smell like pee, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my like, goodness. You know, come on, guys. Like, you're the, a, that's not even funny. And B, the, the level of ignorance is, is quite high. So I thought it would be uh, – it's a great time to tackle the subject or at least part of the subject. For my part, uh, I think I'm going to focus more on the positives of alternative schooling uh, more than maybe the negatives of public schooling because I think a lot of those are self-evident. But maybe, Jordan, you can kind of – I would love to. <laughs> so we'll kind of do a one-two punch on that for today. Uh, you can sort of tackle that side. I'll tackle the positives of alternative schooling. Sure. Because I think a lot of there's just a lot of ignorance out there um, and a lot of willful ignorance. It's it's very easy to stereotype alternative schoolers as, you know, ignorant or stupid or cultish or you know, maladjusted or all the above. Right. Um, and, and that really couldn't be further from the truth mo in most cases. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, the public. I even say it naturally. The public indoctrination system. <laughs> that wasn't I didn't mean to do that. You guys, this is what comes to my mind. Um, I. I don't know as many of the positive sides uh, to the home, I, although I, I totally agree with homeschooling. It's just it's hard for me to know the positives of it because I've never done it. I've never engaged in it where where Paul has. He's lived the life. Obviously, you know, looking from an outsider's perspective, I can I can say, well, yeah, obviously not sending your children to the government to get their schooling is probably going to end up with them being better people than if you were to send them to the government. Um, but this is it's a super deep conversation to have because it's not just as simple as sending your kids to you know this public indoctrination center mm -hmm. most of the time it comes down to poverty and the government's monopoly and it makes it so expensive to to send your kids whether it's to a private school or whether it's to do it yourself you know at home um and and you know I think a lot of this is by design. I really do. I think a lot of the monetary policy of the state and a lot of the um pushes towards having both uh, parents work is, uh, you know, I don't know necessarily if it's by design, but it seems like it is to where you have to send your kids to Caesar, you know, to get, you know, and they return as Romans. Uh, you know, I posted a good quote about that. You know, don't be surprised when you send your kids to Caesar for schooling and they come back as Romans. And that's what the public indoctrination system is. Mm -hmm. It is to. <clears throat> I think conservatives in particular have uh, become, uh, been shocked by that in the last 20 30 years at least the ones who are conservatives who are paying attention sure at how pervasive leftism has become in academia as a whole uh, of course at the college level <clears throat> it's by far the worst right um but it has filtered down to the high to, to the high school the middle school the elementary school all of the levels of uh, it's it's again it's self-evident when you watch how the teachers unions operate when you watch how they vote how the people who work for the school districts vote yeah. how the school boards operate and vote if you're paying attention most of the people who are in charge of education indoctrination again we should say but mm -hmm. education they're leftists yeah uh and unabashedly so right uh and the curriculum has begun to reflect that over the last few decades. Uh, the methodology has reflected that, just the whole nine yards. Even the concept that a lot of people espouse now, well, where they argue that the ch children are not the domain of their parents. They are do the domain, essentially, of the community. Right. Like, children belong to all of us. Right. The hell they do. What a disgusting right. concept. I, oh, it's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. It, it gives me goosebumps. Right. In a bad way. Right. Because the, the, the notion that somebody thinks that they have a... Uh, 
a hand in rearing my my kids or right. or they somehow have some shared responsibility for my kids no way right not even close because the instant you crack that seal then now they can also help raise my kids in ways I don't want them to. Sure. Or vaccinate them or do, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a never ending cycle with these people. They open one door to one thing and then it's, and then it's another thing. And it, you know, I, I, unfortunately. Meddlers are going to meddle. Yep. Yeah. They're going to meddle yeah, with exactly. your kids too. Yeah. And sorry. Oh no, you know, you're fine. I, uh, it's been one of the things that I've told people and they ask me, what's the most important thing as far as, uh, for liberty, you know, like what thing can you change the most or stop to at least get the train back to the right direction in regards to creating a free or voluntary society? And by far, I say we have to end the monopoly on on the education system. And yeah, it's you know people say, well, it's not really a monopoly. You can you can send your kids to private school, or you can homeschool. Them. But the problem with all this is if you have a public school system that costs as much money in in tax dollars as the public school system does, then what you're doing is you're you're taking money away from people who maybe would send their kids to private school. They they are forced to pay taxes to 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 fund these public schools, and a lot of times they don't have the money. In, in order to send their kids to a, a private school or in order to homeschool their kids. So is it technically a monopoly? Yeah, maybe not, but but it's pretty darn close to a monopoly, you know, and and, and it affects poor people the worst it, because the poor people can't, they can't, you know, teach their kids things they want to teach them. They have to send them to this, to this place. And I mean, a lot of people will debate whether it's indoctrination or not, but I went through it and being where I'm at now as a voluntarist, I can look back and I can say that was 100% indoctrination to allegiance to the state. And uh, if you guys, you know, we, we talk about that, uh, the documentary, The Monopoly on Violence, um, but Thaddeus Russell, they did interviews with each person on there. And he kind of went through in his interview, the public education system and how it was designed and basically how it's designed to be like a prison. And they did this on purpose. And if you think of the concepts involved with um, a school, like I said, you you can you're supposed to be there every single day from eight to three. You walk around. There's a bell system, um, and then you know if you're truant, they can hold the kid accountable or even the parent accountable. That's like what Thaddeus said. That's a prison. I mean, it's a it's a low security prison. That model know? was a uh, Prussian model. Yeah, exactly. By, uh, Otto von Bismarck. Yep, was uh, he gets the most credit for. There were a couple other guys involved in that. So we're talking from the uh, late 19th century. And it came about primarily as the Prussian state was trying to figure out how to strengthen the nation state, strengthen itself. And they decided the best way to do that was to raise a generation of people, uh, not just a generation of people, I guess I should say, or a generation of individuals, but a generation of citizens. Yeah. A generation of people willing to work in the factories, make the stuff, and fight on the battlefields to yep. be good factory workers and be good soldiers. So the public and, and that. The model is still being used now, 200 yeah. years later. But yeah. the, this, the public education model was based on the rise of the Industrial Revolution. Yep. It was designed to make people better citizens, better workers in the factories, and better soldiers. Yep. None of which is relevant now and hasn't been for quite some time. Yeah. And yet we're still using that model because, shocker, anything that's run by the state isn't inclined to change. Yep. As long as it works, of course, for the state. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, Dean Abbott. Uh, a little bit of Twitter that he did. It was pretty cool. It's the idea that government should remove kids from their families for eight hours a day, warehouse them in what are essentially prisons, 
and have their minds shaped by agents of the state is so tremendously stupid that it's a wonder anyone ever fell for it. And when I read that, spot on, spot on. Yeah. You can't say it any better than that. Tom Woods has a, um, a great analogy on this. He said, um, if you guys don't know, Tom Larkin Rose, Dave Smith, those, I mean, they're just brilliant minds. And, uh, Tom said this before. He said, well, imagine for a second that Walmart ran your schools, right? And then you send your kids to schools and they pledge allegiance to Walmart every single morning. And then they hear all these stories about all the CEOs of Walmart and all the, you know, all the bullshit. Oh, the first CEO of Walmart never told a lie. <laughs> you know, all these things. <laughs> and then they they graduate and then they say, well, what do you think of Walmart? And they go, oh, Walmart's pretty cool. Well, why do they think that? Well, propaganda. It works. It works. And it, I mean, it worked on me. I remember graduating some of the things that I thought when I graduated high school. You know, one of the one of the most amazing things that I thought was that I had believed that the Federal Reserve had come after the Great Depression. I don't know if I was ever taught that in school, but it was implied heavily in school. It was implied that the, the Great Depression happened. And so because the Depression happened, we had to have this this bank that basically helped these other banks when they got into trouble and, and it would prevent that. So they never actually told you that the Federal Reserve was in existence before. They didn't come out straight up and say that. Okay. They just said, well, you know, the Depression happened and then, you know, we have to have something <laughs> that helps helps the banks during the Depression. And so it wasn't like it was a lie. They were just implying that that the Reserve happened after the after the Depression. It was selective truth. And then you come and find <laughs> out that the Depression was not only after the Federal Reserve started, the Federal Reserve helped cause it. It helped cause it. And just all the garbage lies or the, the Pledge of Allegiance is, I'm going to piss a lot of people off today and I don't really care. The Pledge of Allegiance is so insane in regards to liberty. It, it's so insane. And the right absolutely hates when I talk about this. But I'm going to give you a little bit of inconvenient truths here. The writer of the pledge, Francis Bellamy, was an avid socialist, an avid socialist. And this guy, they have him basically admitting that what, what he believed was the indoctrination of children to allegiance to the state. I mean, he was a collectivist in every way, shape, and form. And there's so many, there's so many articles on this, so many sources for this. And I tell this to conservatives all the time. And they go, well, you know, it means something different now than it did before, or whatever garbage. I don't care. You don't pledge allegiance to government. It's that simple. I don't – the whole you know under God thing that people get so frustrated about, it's yeah. that that has nothing to do with it. Nope. It has to do with allegiance to the state. You're teaching your kids to be allegiant to a flag. Uh, it, it's preposterous to me. And, and you know, if you want to tell them pledge allegiance to voluntary transactions or to treating people right or to the non-aggression principle, have at it for sure. But pledging allegiance to a flag, no go. Not, 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 my kids will not do it and I will never do it again. So one of the <clears throat> tropes that gets thrown out first and foremost, especially in a state like Idaho, is that we don't spend enough on education. And that's always, you know, as, as anybody in the market, you always want to know what you're getting for your money. Right. You know, what, what, what is the quality of products and services that you're you're getting for your uh, for your fiat currency or for your labor or whatever you're trading and public education comes in as one of the worst trade-offs you could possibly imagine for a shocker <laughs> money spent versus shocker. overall product um 
Now, in Idaho, it's it's particularly interesting because uh, during campaign season, you always hear on the radio that Idaho is ranked last for education. But it's another half. It's another half truth. It's uh, we are ranked last in spending on education per pupil. Oh, but we are actually middle of the pack, almost dead middle of the pack for academic performance and test scores. Really? Which Idaho actually is a fantastic case of how you don't have to spend the most money to get a better product. Sure. And that just, you know, throwing money at something doesn't automatically fix it. But if you were to listen to anybody in academia, they, that, that's always the, that's always the panacea. Right. Is what do you need? Well, what do you guys want? Well, we want more money. Right. Always. We need more money. It's like, okay. okay. Government asking for more money. Shocking. Always. And the product never gets any better. Um, the Idaho's last in the country at uh, just a smidge under 7,500 bucks per pupil that we spend. Um, and that's per 2017. The, the latest information is from 2017, and it's uh, just a smidge under 7,500 bucks. 7,486 dollars is what Idaho spends per pupil. Now, what it actually amounts to, though, when you look at the overarching Idaho state budget, is over 60% of the Idaho budget actually is already dedicated to education. Wow. And of course, it's still not enough. They say. Yeah. It's ne- it's ne- which it's never going to be enough. You right. Know, we, we've heard this tired refrain. Then all the way at the top of the list, you've got uh, New York. And the District of Columbia that spend, uh, New York spends over $23,000. Wow. $23,000 per, per student. Unbelievable. DC spends $21,000 per student. And what's fascinating is that if you look at their academic performances, California is another good example too. They spend, they're in the middle of the pack, I think, for spending uh, at $12,000 per pupil. But states like California and New York are renowned for being absolutely atrocious when it comes to uh, their academic performance. Test scores and things like that. Mm-hmm. See, that's mm-hmm. funny. I always Proficiency just... for reading, for math, for science, really? any of it. See, I, this is not something that I've looked into. I, I've heard the the claim for people that Idaho was last in education. And, and my, you know, I never wanted to really start a debate about it. But in my head, I just went, good. They're doing less good at indoctrinating our children. I, I will take that as a win, <laughs> but come to find out, we're actually not last in education. So. Not for performance. Not no, for performance, but for spending, but for spending but which is totally fine. I still have to pay property taxes for a service and good that I do not use. That's and true. That pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same way. I, yeah. I've often thought about that. You know, It's like, well, why should I have to pay taxes for public education system without having any children? And likewise with you, you have kids, but- you don't send them there, and yet you still have to pay for that. Well, the Walmart uh, allegory is, is a good one for that as well. Like right. We'd all be pretty upset if Walmart or Target moved into the neighborhood and we didn't shop there, but we still got a bill from them every month right. or every year just, just so other people could shop there. And then when we uh, make a complaint about that, people say, well, your kids might shop there. Or your granddad may have shopped there. Sure. Or, you know, just because you don't shop there doesn't mean you shouldn't have to pay for it because you're still benefiting from the fact that it's there and other people get to shop there. Right. The collective good. How often do we hear that, huh? The collective good. You know, you're somehow, somehow, some way, even though you don't use the service, you're still benefiting from the service. So we need to extort you. But it sounds ludicrous when you frame it in any other terminology. Right. Right. Yeah, and the the public education system or indoctrination system, like going back to that, the idea that that that's the worst, one of the worst things for liberty. The reason I believe that is because, like, on this road to anarchy that I've taken, that I've been on, and I'm, I'm sure Paul can say the same thing, is 
it's an unbelievably long road and it's mentally strenuous on the individual because they're constantly thinking. And I'm sure some of you are going through this right now, just so you know, like I've had messages from some of you that are like, I've never thought about any of these things in this sort of way. And listening to this podcast has changed my mind on this or this or this. And, and so you guys are probably going through some of this where you go, is, is this possible where I've been lied to the whole time? And it, it's such a crazy experience to go through, but looking at it, that's just one person whose mind is being changed. The state is sending, is, is producing millions of status every single year. I, I refer to it as turning off the spigot. They're, they have a spigot going and status are just being produced every single year. They, they graduate high school and they, oh, you know, government, the government's good. Government's wonderful. Extortion is great. We have to have some extortion. We've got to have some cancer, right, <laughs> in, in, in society. And so you what do you do if you have an issue like this? Well, you have to turn the spigot off first. You've got to end the monopoly um, to make it to where people have other ideas. So I, I think ed, between education and war are, are the two most detrimental things. Um, to liberty. So I guess now moving a little bit forward into the positives of alternative schooling, and I'm going to focus primarily on, on homeschooling because again, that's, you know, that's my experience for our kids. Now, actually my personal experience is I did it all. I, uh, I was publicly educated through most of elementary school, pulled out for a couple of years of homeschooled through the uh, fifth and sixth grade, then put into a charter academy for seventh through half of 10th, and then pulled back out and put into uh, the, again, public school and graduated from public school in 2006. Um, and then when I college, it was a private Christian school. So I've seen uh, four different versions of schooling. Yeah. Uh, four different formats. And they all, they all have their, I guess, you know, it's just like everything else. There's no perfect solution, as Thomas Saul would say. No perfect solution, uh, only trade-offs. Um, so trade-offs with each and every model, but by far the least impressive was the public school model Right, time and time again. Um, so that's been fascinating. So when Mary and my wife and I had kids, we, we vowed to not have them in public education if at all possible. And so right. far we've managed to keep that vow. That's so cool. But, we, we, but that's also come with trade-offs. You know, we've sacrificed right. uh, dual income. Sure. Sure. Know? Um, and that's the trade-off that a lot of people... It, do make where they instead of sacrificing the second career uh both parents work and so sure. what do you do you put your kids in school right um, now of course there's charter academies there's alternative schools there's stem academies there's uh there's uh, of course classical christian style type academies there's, yeah. there's a lot of good options out there but again can you afford it that's always the question right um and uh not everybody can afford it like we we can't sure. so homeschool is our option yep now, not everybody can do any of those things. There are some people who public education is is your option, and, yep. and to those people, uh, I, all I can do is express sympathy, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. encouragement. You know, at that point, then I guess try to uh, do the best you can to supplement for your child what they're not getting uh, in public education system, and also I would say uh, not only supplement what they're not getting, but correct the uh, incorrect the wrong stuff that they are getting sure because there's plenty of that as well and that takes a lot of effort so that just means being an involved parent you know hopefully everybody out there wants to do that right yeah i actually had a really good talk about this the other day with a close friend of mine who uh his kid is in uh public school and we actually this this came up because i told him i said well you know i i mentioned the caesar thing i said well don't be surprised 
you know, and he goes, well, that's that the onus there is on the parents a little bit. He goes, I actually like him going to public school because then he gets to see both sides of it. Personally, I think that's a dangerous game to play. I, I really, really do. And I think, I think if you, it, you have to be on the ball with D propagandizing them and i mean daily probably you have to really be a a parent who comes home after they're done with school and say what did you learn today oh we learned that the uh federal reserve was a great thing or you know whatever the case may be and you have to pretty much deprogram them from all the garbage that they and if you can do that good you know what i mean but but i don't i don't tough road to hoe it is it is and i think you'd be i think most people would be much better off to try to do the route that you guys have done, you know, try to homeschool or try to send them to a private school. Well, there's a common misconception that children are completely cloistered under right. those scenarios as well. It, it's absolutely wrong. I mean, if anybody's ever been to an academy or a charter school or a private school, I mean, a lot of the same social dynamics still apply. Mm-hmm. There's still bullying. There's still sex talk. There's still cursing. There's still all this stuff. I mean, people still people still come from broken homes. Sure. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really shield kids from any of the stuff you're going to see in the public system. It, uh, it, it really doesn't. I mean, at the charter academy that I went to, it was, it was basically the same. The only difference right. was the academic standards were a lot higher. Right. And the teachers gave a shit. Right. And they were there. Right. You know, and there, and there wasn't a giant teachers union at the charter academy to, to right. wield influence and wreck the whole system. Right. Yeah. And people say they, they talk about that socialization issue. And I, I often say as an argument back against that is, well, a lot of the socialization issues that they're going to have in public school are not ones that I want them to have. Hey, yeah. Teaching them bad habits, you know, teaching them to to be rude or to be disrespectful. I mean, I understand learning how to, you know, stand up for your skill for whatever the case may be. One of my favorite little uh, memes here is uh, this two guys talking, and uh, one of them goes, "Oh, you homeschool? Well, how do you teach your kids to be social?" And the other person goes, "Oh, no, no worries. I just lock them up for eight hours, make fun of their clothes, push them in the hallway, tease them for not conforming." And give them an iPad so they don't have to respond to or look at anyone in the eye when they, when we go out. <laughs> it's like, voila, just like public education. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think it does a good thing for socialization. I no. think it's – and you know like in today's and, day and age yeah, – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, I was – so doing like what I promised to do at the beginning of the podcast, focusing on the positive. The positive. Going, I'm over here being a pessimist. Know. Oh, no, but this is good. <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is a good thing. But I, I realized I lost my way because it was I was already starting to go down the uh, here's what's wrong with public education. When I, when I promised to be the one who was <laughs> to like, be the positive here's, what's, one. here's what's a great alternative. Um, one of the things about homeschooling that uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common trope. It's a myth. Again, it's the antisocial issue. And I would make the case, and I think we make a pretty good case, anyone who has ever interacted with my kids will, and it's anecdotal evidence, but it, it works. They'll understand that it's a tired trope. Uh, one of the reasons is that when you homeschool, uh, you're going to have different ages of kids. And so you don't, you're not stuck into plain old linear learning. It's a very odd thing to me that in public education, or actually even in even in charter academies and in most structured education like that, you're locked in with everybody who is your own age. Um, and that's it. So you only hang out with 10th graders. You only hang out with... Uh, oh, got a Cool. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Yep. All right. We're back. We're back. So funny story. We had a break and we are, we got, we have a new microphone now in yeah. the middle of the podcast. Yeah, it's actually really cool. So a guy that was doing some work at the Bulldog here, he asked what our podcast is about. We started kind of talking to him. He goes, what are you guys using for microphones? We said, well, 
I know I'm a caveman. I don't know how to set up any of this stuff. So we're just using the, the microphone on the laptop. He goes, well, I have a Yeti microphone that I don't use at all. That would be perfect for this. I'll sell it to you for 60 bucks. Free market. For That's your free, line. Go free, ahead. free market for the win. <laughs> no taxes. So as we know, taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. So actually rather serendipitous. He's here. So he's with Tradewinds, which by the way, if any of you guys have refrigeration needs, that is the company I use in town. They're awesome. They're called Tradewinds. The owner is Kurt. He's super cool. And that's who helps us with all of our refrigeration needs. So, so uh, the fellow was here working on that. And uh, then we struck up a conversation about microphones of all things. Yep. Voila, we have a new microphone. Here we are. Hopefully we... Uh... Check out the pants on Zach. <laughs> Welcome Zach to the room, everybody. He yeah. just showed up. He's used that one a couple of times. It works really well. Who invited you to this podcast? Get to work. Uh, free market for the win. That's right. This is actually a plug for a oh. business I'm working on. I have here. Oh, attempt at the pizza roses. Pizza oh, roses. Very good, man. So this one came out a little bit better than this one, but we're still working on it. We we'll have to get a picture of that and put that on the page. Yeah, we will. So people know what we're ooing and on about right That'd now. That'd be awesome. Pizza roses, everybody. Free market, market for, for the win. win. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Seriously, pizza roses. So before I was so rudely interrupted by pizza roses and a new microphone, uh, <laughs> one of the benefits of homeschooling is that you have an, uh, the opposite of linear learning, basically where my nine-year-old and my five-year-old, they learn together. Now, they don't learn necessarily the same stuff all the time. We have different, we, they go through the same unit together. So like right now we're doing oceans and we're on the shark unit, which is a lot of fun, by the way. I'm really like, digging the shark unit. Like a lot of fun. Oh, it's great. Did you know that a hammerhead shark can smell blood in the water up to a couple of miles away? I actually did know that, oh. but it's still fascinating to hear that. Well, every time I did. So, but how does this uh, work? I want to know how this works, right? Because, but it, it, the water has to spread first, right? Before it's actually going to, like, you know what I'm saying? It can't just smell it instantly. Can I it? think it's pretty close to instantaneous. How in the world does that work? But I don't know if anybody has actually measured the time on that. I don't know. We'd have to ask a marine biologist for that. But, the point being is that as an older student, MRSA finds herself often having to learn not only what academically she needs to learn, but also how to handle uh, learning with somebody who's four years younger than her right? and help bring him along. And on his end of things, Silas, my five-year-old, he sometimes has to pick things up quicker than he might otherwise. Uh, so he's forced to learn at maybe a, a bit of a quicker pace and MRS is forced to learn how to help somebody younger than her. So right. they both learn skill sets that they would not learn if they were locked into their own grade. Sure. Uh, also, when we go to co-ops, because there are co-ops with homeschool, there's a there's an entire homeschool community out there. And, I, and I've got some stats lined up here that I'll go through in a sec. Uh, people think that home, the homeschool movement is this teeny tiny little thing. And by comparison to public education, I suppose it is. It's all relative. But it's a movement that is growing at an exponential rate. And uh, it is not just uh, white, conservative, Christian cultists, right. so to speak. Right. Like, I don't actually believe white, conservative, Christian are by nature cultists, but that's the trope, right? You right. Know, quote, unquote, right, right. cult. You know, like it's, it's yesterday somebody You're said, yeah, home, homeschoolers are, remind me a lot of cultists. And I, and I was like, actually, we're the least cultish of all because <laughs> I don't stand in the classroom praise my sky flag, right. pra praise the owners of the land in which I reside and, you know, and submit myself to authority. That actually sounds like a cult. Right. And every time the bell rings, we go where we're told, 
we shuffle down the hallway like a herd of cattle. Right. 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 But but I'm the cultist. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, so my kids actually develop a lot of skill sets because they interact with people of all ages. They interact with adults. They interact with teenagers. They interact with younger kids. Uh, you know, Amaressa, in particular, Amaressa, my nine-year-old, she can carry on a conversation with anybody in the room of any age group and talk about pretty much any topic that she has a grasp on, which is a lot of topics. Um, I dare you to find too many publicly educated people who, at, at least at that age, can do that. And it's because you don't have to. When you're locked in with everybody who's your own age group, all you learn is your own age group. And all of the problems that your age group has uh, in that particular period of time are very unique only to your age group, but you're in this little bubble. It's a microcosm of the larger thing we call life. Sure. And so, I mean, it's like the, the, the age old cliche that high, every, when you're in high school, high school feels like the biggest thing on planet earth and like everything matters, but it really doesn't. You just think it does because you're locked into this, such a narrow band of living. Right. Place you, you're forced you, to go. You can too. barely look outside of it. Whereas Amaressa, my nine-year-old and my five-year-old, both Silas and Amaressa, they both understand that there's life outside of homeschool. Right. They have friends they play with. They have family members. They have cousins. Uh, they come to work with me sometimes so they know what I do for a living. They know right. how to stock the shelves. Amaressa can run the front desk right now. She literally can get on that iPad and ring up a cigar for you. Sure. sure. And talk to a client. Ask, how may I serve today? What are you looking for? Would you like a receipt? It, 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 just little things like that that in the end I think make a big difference and you don't get that with normal education right yeah and it's it, like you said before it's hard for me to to do the positive side like like Paul's doing because I just don't have a lot of experience in it but I can tell you I have uh, some friends the Hayes and they have I think six kids Let me make sure I count them. yeah they have six kids and um, they homeschooled all their kids and I'm here to tell you that all their kids are the nicest most respectful uh, smart kids, you know, uh, so much better than other kids. My wife and I talk about it still to, to this day. We're like, man, they're just so much better than other kids, <laughs> you know, and it's just kind of anecdotal proof to me. Um, and what Paul was saying about the cultishness, which is funny, Tom Woods again for the win. Here's a quote from him. Libertarianism is cultish, say the sophisticates. Of course, there's nothing cultish at all about allegiance to the state with its flags, its songs, its mass murders, its little children saluting and paying homage to pictures of their dear leader on the wall, etc. I mean, it's, it's not cultish to want to own yourself and want to advocate for, in, for individual liberty and not want your children indoctrinated by the state. And in, on another point, too, like recently, like I know you're saying this is a growing movement and it certainly is, but just recently with all this lockdown stuff, I have seen more and more people coming out and saying, I would have never considered homeschooling until now, until you're seeing what the state's going to do to them. And, you know, the state's going to lock them up, make them wear a mask or, or whatever. And, and on another point with this too, kind of going back and forth, I know this is a se separate issue, but you know, the, it, whether it's homeschool or private education, it solves the issue of what to teach in the curriculum. You see this often with people where they, Funny you mentioned that. Yeah. They did a, a look-see-loo at the uh, textbooks and the curriculum for the state of Texas and the state of California. Same authors, same publishing companies, same textbooks, different curriculum. Yep. Worded different. Well, I, let me rephrase. The curriculum was actually so like similar but different. Right. Rewritten depending on the whims of the legislature of each state. So Texas curriculum leans conservative. 
California curriculum leans quite liberal. Um, and they did a side by side comparison of, of the textbooks for it. And it was a stark contrast. The same people wrote it, same people published it. In theory, it was supposed to be the same curriculum, but with vastly different insinuations and uh, implications and wording and connotations and context sure to uh, reflect the political leanings of that that particular state right uh fascinating it is and so when you're in particularly again public education and charter schools are kind of a kind of a gray area and alternative schools and and that sort of thing so but so we'll, we'll talk about them i think at another time because that's a whole nother topic sure sure but uh it's fascinating to think that you you subject your your child to the whims of somebody you maybe didn't even vote for. Right. Right. They get to decide what your kid learns, what your kid knows how and when and where. Right. And at what price. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They determine their own pricing, which, you know, Uh it's something completely antithetical to the market. And it's like, we all know, you know, as Dave Smith has said before, we all know politicians and bureaucrats are the worst people in society. They're the worst. There's no debate about this. Nobody likes politicians. Even if you say, I like this guy. You're really only saying that because he's a little better than this other crook on the other side. And so when you realize that those are the people determining what your kids are going to be learning, at least with me, it makes me just so irritated. I mean, I don't have kids yet. So obviously it's not like, you know, I'm I'm as mad as somebody that does, but I can only imagine being a parent and having to deal with this school is going to teach my kids about whatever it is, you know, whether you're on the left or whether you're on the right and whether you want your kids to know about I don't know, LGBTQ history or whether you don't want that. The, the, the issue is that the state is determining all of it and not the market. And that creates, creates some problems on both sides as we've seen in the past. So um, I guess I will, I'll go back to, I guess, what's wrong with the public education system just for a second. <laughs> then I'm going to flip back over to why homeschooling is better. But um, when it comes to say cost, for example, because you don't get to pick your price. It's a curious thing at how much more public education costs now. Um, spending per student since World, since World War II, so since 1941, pen, spend, uh, spending per student in the public education system has increased by 663%. But of course, the question is, where did all that money go? Six times. Uh, wow. The It's pretty evident that most of it went towards administration. So not even necessarily teachers or better buildings or, or teaching supplies or, or uh, you know, curriculum, which is where we always assume it goes. Right. It's mainly to administration. Uh, so between uh, 1950 and 2009, public schools experienced a 96% increase in student population. And during that time, public schools uh, increased their staff by 386% four times as much as the increase in students. Uh, the number of teachers increased by 252%, which is over two and a half times the increase of students. Now here's where it gets really gnarly. The number of administrators and other staff increased by over seven times the amount of the increase in students. Unbelievable. Seven times. So that's where all the money's going. It's it's to administration. Yeah. That's it. It's not going to even... And education has improved since the department of Edu- the federal department of education began in the uh, 60s test scores have flattened completely flattened they have not improved at all for math for reading and for science yeah i've often quoted this this we'll post this meme too it, it was done by the the cato institute since 1970 um, paul brought it up and it's something i've saved a lot but Basically, it's these graphs, and it shows. We're gonna post this one to the yeah. We'll, we'll post this one. It shows since 1970 
the cost of K through 12 education of a single student just skyrocketing, going through the roof. It's at about 200%. Then it shows the test scores and the test scores are absolutely flat. So it shows the the increase in budgets, the increase in employees, and then the test scores being being absolutely flat. And then, gosh, I keep I keep referencing Tom Woods today. He's just so good. <laughs> Tom is just so good. Well, one of the big topics that he tackles often is education. He's, yeah, he's very good at hitting that topic. Yeah. And here's what's interesting too is it's not just within the U.S. So we can do a state by state comparison, and you'll and the and the numbers speak for themselves. But we also can do a global comparison. And the U.S. within what's called the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. There's 34 countries in this organization, and basically, basically think first world countries more or less. It's an sure. organization of first world countries. Um, is is it's you know it's the best way to describe it. Sort of a hard way to describe it, but the best way. Uh, the U.S. tops. Everybody in the world, not even this organization, but everybody in the world as a country, we spend the most on education, hmm. flat out, spend the most per capita and per pupil. However, within this organization uh, called the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, out of the 34 countries, the U.S. is 17th for math and even worse for science and right in the middle for reading. And uh, it's not a pretty picture. Spending the most, not getting the results. Sounds like a monopoly. Uh -huh. um, one of the things Tom said, going back to the administration thing, is he, he had a story in one of his lectures about he, there was somebody doing an article on the administrators, because that's what you know we were talking about. And they said they went to the public. This was in New York, I think. And they said that there, in New York at the time, there were just as many students in the public education system as there was in the Catholic archdiocese or whatever, the Catholic schooling system. And so they were doing a, doing research about the administration, administrators. So they, so they called the public education system and they talked to somebody and the first person couldn't give them the answer. So they had to call a second person, uh, or excuse me, the first person didn't know the answer to how many administrators were in the public school system. The second person he called, they did know the answer, but they couldn't tell him the answer. The third person that this, this person called said, we know the answer we can tell you. And it was something along the lines of a thousand and some change of administrators that they, you know, don't quote me on this, but it was, it was over a thousand administrators. So then he called the Catholic, the archdiocese, whatever, whatever, uh, office for, for that. And he said, you know, I'm doing some research on administrators. Um, how many administrators you have there? And he was expecting, you know, some crazy number of answer. And the lady goes, well, hold on a second. I'm going to put you on hold. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa why, why are you putting me on hold? She goes, I'm counting. I'm going to count. <laughs> she gets up and she goes, what? We have 12. We have 12. So how, you have the same number of students. You have 12 administrators over here and you have 1,000 over here. Mm -hmm. Do you notice the common theme here? The common theme here is government and their inefficiency to do anything right. Education is just is just a subset of that. They can't. There's no reason for them to do anything right. So, good news. <laughs> Plain optimist and pessimist. I, prom I promise I'd go back to it because we, we definitely have not stuck to a structured uh, thing today. That's like my I was bad. I to. keep going on. No, actually, it's both of our bads because, again, we, we sort of had to go this one on the fly. And, and uh, normally I prefer a little more structure. But we're, I'm, I'm trying here. So, so good news. Going back to alternative schooling. Um, this COVID thing's been a mess, as we all know, right? It's been yeah. a total mess. But uh, yeah, trying to be optimistic. One of the things that uh, that I've certainly noticed, Mary and I in particular, um, 
again, because of our involvement in the homeschooling community, that there is some silver lining to this COVID stuff. And it is that people are, a, a lot of people actually are, are beginning to wake up to uh, not only what a terrible system the public education system is, but that there are good alternatives. Sure. And they are choosing those alternatives. Yeah. In droves, I might add. Um, there's a lot of polls about this right now, but uh, there's a couple in particular that uh, USAA Today did a poll and 60% of the parents polled said they are heavily considering or have already decided to choose at-home learning this fall rather than send their kids back to public school. Right. Now, well, so I should rephrase that. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be out of the public school system because if, uh, you know, the public education system, depending on your state or your district, if they've set up in-home learning with public education uh, curriculum, oh, sure. you're, not, sure. you're not completely free from the system, but it's a damn good start. Yeah. It's a damn good start. And you can really actually see what they're learning there too and be more uh, – more engaged, you know, at correcting the mistakes that the state, you know, even if you, even if they are going that route. Uh, so in North Carolina last week, so many parents submitted notices of intent to homeschool that it crashed the servers. Wow. The non, the state's non-public education website that they have set up as a resource for people who want to opt out of the public education system. It crashed the servers. It's beautiful. Um, a lot of parents are choosing to delay to see what happens. Um, so it's, it's, it's very fascinating. And the group of people that are homeschooling is ever, ever diverse. It's, and it's for a lot of different reasons. It's for religious reasons. It's for curriculum reasons. It's for convenience reasons. It's for safety reasons. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, people who would probably consider themselves more left or liberal or moderate or whatever. And for them, it's just a safety concern. Sure. They don't want to send their kids back into the hallways with all the COVID flying around. Yeah. But whatever the reason, the effect is still the same. The more that these people can break free of the system, I think, I think the better. I, 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 I would agree. I would argue that we actually have a real shot on our hands to uh, for the next generation to be radically, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess for, for it to be radically different than the sure. generation before, sure. but in a good way. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think if this is the catalyst that causes, uh, you know, broad sweeping change to the entire system, even though it's not necessarily the catalyst we'd prefer, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's still it's still a good thing to see whether you're left, right, center, whether you're non-political at all, it's a good thing to see people pulling their kids out of this stuff, you know? And and I'm, I'm here to tell you that the market-based systems, the private systems, whether you're gonna homeschool or whether you're gonna send them to charter, whatever the case may be, they're, they're I mean, look at like the Khan Academy, you know? Uh, have you ever dealt with the Khan Academy before? No, I have not. So when I was in, when I was in college, you know, uh, I, like my calculus class, I'd go to class and then it was kind of like, I didn't, I just didn't feel like I was really getting it. But I went on that, that Khan Academy and did all the, the lectures that were talking about whatever we were talking about. And I learned so much more on there, being able to pause, go back, being able to, you know, fast forward. Okay. Oh, I didn't get this. I need to go back and learn that. And that's just one small example of me being able to learn something that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to learn because of the market. That's the market that did all that stuff. And when you leave things up to the market, and I, I would kind of, I don't think that like like education is as much of a technology-based industry as certain industries, but I would like to think that there is some technology-based 
stuff regarding it. And when you leave technology-based industries to the market, it's incredible what happens to the cost, and it's incredible what happens to the quality. Um, well, so that's a good segue for my next point of homeschooling is, is we, we've sort of tackled the social aspect of it, but sure. uh, there's there's more to it, but we'll kind of leave it at that. I mean, because that's always the big trope is the social aspect of it. And right. I think anybody who's been around most homeschoolers, and it's anecdotal again, but there's a lot of us out there, or a lot of them out there, homeschoolers, and most of them are pretty well adjusted because you, you interact with more people than just your age. Right. Uh, but moving to your point, there, we live in the golden age of resources. The internet is a, is a, just an amazing thing. And I mean, homeschooling was always a good thing you could do and it was possible. Uh, but in the last 10, 15 years where the internet's really come on, there is a just a, a myriad of resources. It's, it's actually, there's almost, I don't want to say there's too many resources, but as a, it can be really uh, daunting as a parent sure. when you dive into it. There are, there really are. You have your pick of the litter. And, right. and that's incredible. I mean, so Mary, my wife, she, she, to her credit, she does the heavy lifting because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here most of the time. But, you know, I usually when it when it comes to civics, uh, government, politics, uh, monetary and fiscal theory, you know, that's when that's when that's I take over, steps you know, in. <laughs> real world application, uh, you know, firearm training, uh, fishing, uh, how to build a dam in the creek, you know, paintball, athletics. Those those are all my departments. Awesome. <laughs> so I still have a hand in it, but she definitely does the heavy lifting when it comes to the curriculum. And we actually have a really broad array of curriculum. We have uh, one that's called uh, Come Together. We have, then we also engage in classical conversations, which is actually a co-op once a week. We meet together with about 70 others wow. and uh, all different age groups from like four years old all the way up to high school. And the two, and there are tutors there. So they go once a week to this co-op and they break into pods of six or seven or eight and they learn a classical liberal education. Uh, the Magna Carta, right? They learn about that. Wow. Uh, Martin Luther and his theses. They learn about that. That's that, cool. the whole timeline. You know, That's everything. Cool. It's, it's incredible stuff. And the tutors are are uh, they're paid a little bit. We there are fees to do this, but they're really manageable. Sure. And uh, it's also volunteer based, and so you know everybody comes together and makes it a really cool, re a really great thing. Then there's also Tech Trip which is a really amazing program that is not in every state, but uh, it's in, I think, about half the states in this country. It's in Idaho. It's a fantastic deal where there is some structure. Uh, you do have to do biweekly reports to your own uh, tutor who kind of monitors you and what you're, what you're doing with your curriculum. So there is accountability, but you can do things like uh, buy an iPad, for your kid to be able to you know, access the internet and use these resources, and that's covered by TechTrap. It's actually state. It's actually state funds. And now, before you all start getting mad, like Paul, you're an anarchist. You shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing something like this. And you're right. When I first came across it, I was kind of. I thought it was kind of distasteful. But then I realized, wait a minute, the amount of money that is stolen from me every month, just right. in excise taxes and, and and sales taxes that I generate with my business, plus income taxes, property taxes corporate taxes, uh, taxes on all the stuff that I buy, every, you know, everything. Get some um, of it back. I realize, and, and, and particularly all the property taxes I pay for the education system I don't use, well, right. hell, I'm going to get that shit back. Yep. Or at least, at least as much as I can. So in my mind, we're actually just getting some of the money back that I had to pay that I didn't want to pay for a system I don't use. Sure. Because the fun, So the funds actually come from the state. Uh, a bicycle, for example. We were able to, uh, TechTrap paid for a bike for PE. That's awesome. And we use it every day almost. The yep. kids get on their bikes and they have 
recess time. You know, so that, speak. this is an interesting concept. Not to go too far off the off the uh, deep end here, but you know, the idea that that you can't engage with the state at all as an anarchist is is a ridiculous notion. Um, there was a uh, you know, people's, they're always, their argument is, well, you don't believe in government. Well, you shouldn't use the roads, right? Mo roads, but a little bit different of my <laughs> roads saying, well, you don't believe in it. Don't use them. Right. Well, and that argument is even a bit of a red herring just because the, they're basically trying to say that we, because we're philosophically opposed to the way we've been extorted to pay for the roads that, that we, we shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed to use the roads. Right. But my argument is, well, you already forced me to pay for it. So of course, as a consumer of goods and services that you made me pay for, I'm going to I'm gonna use that good and service. Yeah, there's. Uh, but the instant you turn it into a toll road, well, I will only use the road when I pay for it. Right. If you guys don't follow uh, Bradley Thomas on Twitter, his his uh, a thing is at erase the state or at erase state. Excuse me. He had an amazing tweet one time, and it was mocking basically status. And it, and this tweet was really simple. It said, "Quote: You consent to the social contract because you use services provided by the state." is like saying slaves consented to slavery because they accepted food from their masters. So the idea that you can rob me, and then when I say, well, I'm already robbed, I guess I'm gonna use these roads, and you go, oh, you can't use the roads, you're against you're against the government. Well, you already extorted me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I have every right to use the funds or to get the funds back that I was already extorted for. And I would encourage everybody who's right, left, libertarian, whatever you wanna say, to to get as much back from the state as they possibly can. Whether or not you agree with what the state's doing, get as much of your money back from the state as you possibly can. So that was sort of, yeah, the tact we took when it came to the tech trap thing. But uh, it, and it, I think it makes sense. And it's been a magnificent resource. And so there's three different things right there that we use, an amalgamation of all three of those uh, that form a very good uh, base of curriculum and learning and structure and accountability. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, we throw in all kinds of other things, too. And here's the, here's another positive of homeschooling is that it's it's not contingent upon a particular structure. It doesn't uh, we don't have to stick to a certain something if we don't feel like it that day. And uh, now that can, you know, everybody's different, right? That can be room for abuse. And some people might. But, hey, that's that's the risk you take. Right. There's, sure. That's the, the freedom. Sure. <laughs> But most self-respecting parents who are who are taking this seriously, which are most of them, because most people don't most people don't homeschool out of convenience. Right. right. I don't know anybody who was like, well, the easiest thing I can do is uh, stay home with my three or four or five kids and teach them things. Sure. Nobody thinks that way. Right. They'd rather dump, dump them off on the, the public education system and go to work. Right. Well, a lot of parents, not not us. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. That's the way a lot of people think. So, lazily so most well, almost all people who actually homeschool are there for, we, it's, it's with intent you know we're intentional about it and uh, i like that we have a fle flexibility i guess would be what i'm talking about we're not you know my kids aren't locked into a cage for eight hours and if they decide they want to go take a recess it's not like they're going to get a truant uh, a truant mark on their resume or that they're you know they got to fight the man to get a little wiggle time sure sure uh and and there's a lesson in everything you know, we go outside, we see the Blue Jays. What do we do? We do a lesson on Blue Jays that afternoon. That's you so know, cool. we go down to the creek and we build the dam. What do we do? We pull up uh, lessons on engineering and right. some of the biggest dams on planet Earth and what they do and why they exist and how they were made, how they were built, who built them, how long they took. Uh, that's a that's a that's a week long lesson right there. Uh, it, it's pretty cool. You know, we see the minnows in the pool of the dam that we built and the kids are like, Oh, you know, wonder what kind of minnows those are. I was like, well, let's take a look. So we get online and we go, okay, well, what 
fish are native to this area and what do they look like and what do they eat? And what's their, sure. what is their life cycle? Sure. So in one day we get natural science, we get engineering, we get math and we get PE. How cool. You know, there's a couple points I want to make here on this. Well, should we stop and we'll start it again here? Cause this is going to go. All right. There's a couple points here on this. I, I want to make, so I wasn't going to tell anybody this, but I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to, admit this to you guys just so you guys can kind of see what I don't I don't think I'm the most brilliant person in the world I, I, I don't think I'm an idiot but I'm definitely there's people a lot smarter than me um yeah but if you've been homeschooled you definitely would have at least known your directions <laughs> he's given <laughs> so for those my of you kids that, know north and south oh my goodness so so what happened is when I showed up here we're, we're in the Silver Lake Mall and there's two areas and they look really similar to each other and I came in from the opposite way and i I was going, Paul, your door's, the back door's not open. He goes, I'm sitting here right now. It's open right now. I go, I'm telling you, I'm right here. That was in the wrong spot. So he's giving me some crap. I'm telling you, I'm right here. <laughs> but, okay. So I, I want to tell you guys this and, and I'm not, I'm not tuning my own horn. I just want, I'm going to be honest with you. And I want you to know. So I don't think that I'm the smartest person ever, but I don't think I'm an idiot. I graduated high school with a 1.8 GPA. Right. With a 1.8 GPA. I barely graduated. I didn't do my homework. I hated every minute of it. Now, if I'd have told some of you out there who, who hear me talk or listen to the podcast, you'd, I, I think most of you would go, man, I didn't think you were that stupid. I, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think you're that dumb, but I graduated with a one point. I knew it all along. <laughs> I was on you from the start. But you know what? There was a couple of things in high school that we had a mock trial, and I was so adamant about defending this, this defendant from the state. And, and in college, I did a, I almost won the speech contest. I got in second on an, on an anti-Abraham Lincoln speech. Oh. And people came to me and they went, that was one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard. And why was it? Well, those things were what I was interested in. Had nothing to do with intellect. It's what I was interested in. And and so uh, on that kind of what, like what Paul was saying is, you know, if his kids say, well, we want to learn about Blue Jays today, well, you, go to, you go and do that. So what you know, you're referring to. And I'm sorry that I'm interrupting. No, you're this fine. This is perfect. You're referring to unschooling, right? There's a term for this. It's unschooling. Sure. And on the, the the bare definition of unschooling is essentially allowing students or your kids or whatever people allowing to pursue their interests and learn what they like. Right. And actually, sometimes to the detriment of any other topic, you can eschew other topics uh, and uh, focus on what a child likes and let them learn. It's self-guided learning, sure. essentially, is what it is. And there's some very fascinating research on the topic uh, at how effective it, it can be. Right. It can be. Yeah. Um, I mean, a pragmatic argument would be how much math do you really need to know if you're not going to go into a math field, but if you're super interested in biology, then you're going you're gonna to learn biology and right. you might become an excellent doctor. Right. Or a physiologist sure. or something along those lines or work in PT or ath the athletic training or who right. knows. Um, and then when you do require math, you just bust out an Excel spreadsheet and a calculator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not just not trying to say that math isn't important, but yeah, unschooling is the concept you're talking about. And it's a it's a great concept. That's I really, think. really cool. And I think like referring it back to the market, it's that's just individuals, even though they're young individuals pursuing their own self-interest. They say, I don't want to learn about this. I want to learn about this. And they get to choose what they want to learn about. Um, and, you know, while, while 
Walpole's on. He's kind of looking up some stuff regarding unschooling. So right now. Uh, there's a there's a one person in particular that if any of you guys are interested in this topic, that I highly recommend you uh, read her work. Uh, Carrie McDonald is her name, and she actually does a lot of. She's written several books. She contributes a lot to the Foundation for Economic Education and for Reason as well. And she's written a lot on uh, this particular topic, homeschooling and unschooling. Uh, and it's it's fantastic material. She makes great arguments. Uh, she does research. She helps uh, find resources for people who need resources, like all the above. She's a she's a great place to start for anybody who's interested in this sort of thing. That's wonderful. And you guys can always feel free to. And- it's uh, K-E-R-R-Y. McDonald like like the burger joint. You and you guys you guys can always feel free, you know, if you listen to this podcast and have a question, you know, about about a source or anything or you want an article sent to you, feel feel free to reach out to us. Uh, another point that I wanted to make back when when Paul was talking about teaching his kids about the Magna Carta or about a lot of these things. You know, another thing we've noticed and this isn't my idea. I've I've heard this from other people. I'm just kind of relaying it is that one of the benefits of homeschooling or or alternative education to the public school system is that you'll find that the states keep out of the curriculum things that question the very existence of the states. And and Thaddeus went into this in his interview a lot of times where it's not necessarily that they'll that they'll lie to you. They will lie to you, but a lot of times they just will not talk about things that will question their legitimacy. Um, one of the things that I learned after school, actually, this was pretty recently, was the Kentucky Resolution of 1798 and 1799. Now, a lot of people don't know about this because it's just not taught in the public education system. But we have this idea that the government was created and it was amazing. Obviously, we know it's tyrannical now, right? But they say it was amazing for all these hundreds of years. Well, 20 years after the government's founding, um, the government created a, a law basically saying you could not criticize the president. And it, the, the law was actually really crazy because it didn't include the vice president, which was Thomas Jefferson at the time. <laughs> so, and this was very politically oh, motivated because yeah. Jefferson was a part of the Republican Party at the time. And the president, uh, don't call me on who the president was, but they were part of the like, Federalist He was party. an anti-Federalist. Jefferson was. Jefferson was an anti-Federalist. Yeah, I thought he, I, they I, did, well, they didn't have the, so, I mean, he would be considered a Republican now. It, not the but, same way as Republican. They, yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not, they didn't use the term that way, though, then. Oh, okay. Basically, Federalists and anti-Federalists. Fed- well, sometimes okay. uh, some of Jefferson's acolytes referred to themselves as Jeffersonians. Jeffersonians. So, sorry, not to nitpick. No, no, you're fine. So, so what happened was they tried to pass this law restricting free speech, and the resolution of 1798 and 1799, the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions, basically said that the states do not have to enforce unconstitutional laws. It's an idea called nullification, right? And this idea has been used plenty of times throughout human history. Yeah, that's and, a great idea. Yeah, we have jury nullification, yep. which is the jury saying, well, we believe this person was guilty of this crime, but we don't believe that this law is a moral law. We're going to say they're innocent. That's jury nullification. Well, you no, don't hear that much anymore. You don't. You so do not hear. Jury nullification is actually not illegal. It's perfectly legal. But, Absolutely. Uh, these days, if you're typically if you're caught distributing any sort of literature or anything about it, especially if you're on courthouse grounds, yep. some guys have tested this theory where they Michael go Picard they on just, Facebook. They, yeah, they go and they distribute literature to people on courthouse grounds and go, "Hey, did you know about jury nullification? No victim, no crime." They arrest him for that. 
Yeah. They arrest you for that. They don't want you guys to know yeah. that these are real things and they're real things that that solve a lot of problems or whether it's the state nullifying the federal government's laws. And, you know, it's one of my frustrating things. Anytime you mention states' rights or states' sovereignty, people automatically associate it with slavery. But there's so many examples that are that have nothing to do with slavery of the states just simply saying, yeah, we're not going to enforce that. Well, look at marijuana yeah. laws. Well, nullification and secession were are legitimate forms of protest and Absolutely. legitimate forms of action and legitimate forms of behavior and our forebears not that i place a ton of stock in our forebears but they sure. had some things right for sure, sure. I mean, you know sure, i'm not sure. one of those like my founding fathers kind yeah of i'm not but they had some good ideas right um they were big into nullification and secession they left sure. it wide open for that because they they a lot of them i think figured either in their lifetime or in the next generation after them, some of the states were probably going to secede anyway. Sure. Uh, that was a big deal. Uh, that was why Articles of Confederation came before the Constitution. Right, which and, were actually better. In my and opinion. the only reason they took the Constitution was finally when they were like, okay, fine, here's your Bill of Rights. Will you take the Constitution now? And half right. the states went, okay, fine, fuck you, but yes. Wasn't it Payne who was adamantly against the the the, the way the government was? was he wanted yes. Articles of Confederation. He wanted Articles, yeah. yeah. A lot of them still did. Right. Uh, and had we had Articles of Confederation, I think, we, I think it would have taken us 100 more years to get to where we are now. Right. I think in 2100, we would probably be where we are now. See the same Because it would have taken so now. much longer right. for the for the federal government to coalesce and become the monstrosity sure. that it is. Sure. Well, the Constitution gave but us. Go, go back ahead. to what you're saying about uh, how public education, is, a lot of the time they don't outright lie, but they definitely omit things or just, just they just sure. teach you what's, well, what suits the state. Shocker right. that the state's going to teach you that the state is good. Yeah. Lou Rockwell, uh, who's a personal favorite of mine, has a great quote about education, and he says, it isn't a coincidence that governments everywhere want to educate children. Government education, in turn, is supposed to be evidence of the state's goodness and its concern for our well-being. The real explanation, of course, is less flattering. If the government's propaganda can take root as children grow up, those kids will be no threat to the state apparatus. Indeed, they will fasten the chains to their own ankles. It's so And, I mean, we, we so see true. that. We see the effects of that every day. Yep. So, but... If you homeschool <laughs> or unschool, then uh, you this has a lot. The state propaganda has a lot harder time taking root. Right. Know? I mean, that's it's a quiet protest movement in my mind. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's and it is as much for academic purposes because I think academically homeschool is by far a better choice as well. But it's as much for academic as it is for ideological, philosophical, uh, and I would say for the soul of my children. Yeah. Uh, not to get like too deep, but we are people of faith. So there's also a faith aspect to that as well. Sure. But the homeschool community as a whole actually has become very, very diverse. And it's it's not just driven by, like I said, like, you know, Christians. Sure. There's, there's a lot of people who homeschool for a lot of different reasons now. Um, so that's very encouraging. It's a very diverse group. And my kids get to see it all. Yeah. Uh, you know, so even something as simple as you know, like one day, like I said, one day they get, we get to do a nature thing and we learn about bridges and birds and fish. And then the next day I'm balancing the checkbook and answering emails and going through paperwork. And my kids want to know about that. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, through the course of what I do and being around them and my wife being around them, they get to see my wife make her essential oils, make her balms, run her business, apothecary, Mary, do her photography stuff, do her, uh, uh graphic design stuff. They get to see that, learn bits of it, participate in some of it. Then they get to come over and watch me answer emails, uh, do the checkbook, file paperwork, 
pay bills and you know what it which most of the time kids don't get to see right I mean, most parents don't even talk to their kids about money or economics i had no clue about like credit but no no clue at all no but clue my, my kids already know how to cut checks not amazing like i've you know because they they both have checkbooks they both have savings accounts now i'm not a huge believer in the banking system yeah, for a lot of that's a whole nother a whole nother huge <laughs> we can do topic. a whole podcast on whole two podcasts on but that. it's in the world we live in we still have to a degree uh i mean i guess if you're lucky enough that you can just pull away from the world altogether and not have to utilize any of it that that's awesome but i don't really know anybody like that so in the world that. we live in it's still good to have a banking you know a bank it's still good to have a savings account it's good to have a checking account it's good to understand uh that when you earn ten dollars you should probably throw two of it into your savings set sure. aside five of it for that lego set you want set aside uh, at least a dollar to two dollars for the Lord, you know, get again with people of faith. Yep. So, you know, that's kind of part of it too. Yep. But, you know, uh, and and then the rest of it goes into, say, your checking account or into the coin jar that you've got in your room. And that's for a rainy day. Sure. And they know these things already. My kids are five and nine and they know these things. Now, are they perfect at it? Of course not. Right. But kids. it's a constant lesson. Yeah. And they get to see it and we get to instill it in them every day. Sure. Because they're there with us and we're there with them. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So to not, I mean, you're going completely opposite is not only are they not being indoctrinated by the state, they're learning so many things that are so much more beneficial to them in real life applications. It, yep. it's, Which it, distills one of the tropes that, again, people always have about homeschoolers is, in fact, and I'm, I'm sorry that I interrupted. No, but you're I, fine. I, this, this is your this subject. Is, this is you what, know a lot more about this subject than I so do. This post I raise against what, the state. But. I'm, so I'm talking to this guy on Facebook, and this is what started this topic for today for me because it really struck a nerve. And these and so these guys posted a thing about how they were mad that uh, in Alabama, Alabama's reopening public schools. And the guys that were mad about it are leftists. They were like, oh, well, you, you know, what a bunch of idiots. Typical Alabama rednecks, you know, not worrying of, you know, you guys are idiots because you're not scared of COVID. And I got on there and I went, well, hey, check this out. We homeschool and uh, we have a big homeschool room. And so it's easy for us to stay six feet apart. And meal meal prep is done by one person. So it's easy to you know keep that safe. And we can disinfect everything everybody touches. And if we want a really social distance, we can all go outside and do learning outside. So voila, pandemic guidelines achieved. Boom, done. just like that. And it's and then I said, you know, how, how about that? You know, I, I just took your guidelines and I and I achieved that we can achieve them and we're right. homeschooling and we are still learning like homeschool never stopped, by the way, too. There, there is no summer vacation. Sure. I mean, we go lighter on the curriculum, like way lighter. But every they're day is a learning educated. opportunity. Yeah. So it's not like there's three months of just total brain dead bullshit for the kids. Right. Every day is a learning opportunity. So I tell them all this and then they jump on me and they basically say, well, homeschoolers suck and they're dumb and they don't have social skills and they smell like pee. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I see that. I and see. that was really maddening to me. So then I uh, he said Hitler was homeschooled. Too. So I t- <laughs> yeah, or well, they were making what? a joke about you. Know, maybe Hitler was homeschooled, too. And I tell them, well, OK, so your anecdotal evidence uh, clearly, you know, bests the, the national statistics to say homeschool actually outperforms uh public education academically and socially and this guy literally says this i can't i got so i got him to admit this he says as we've seen over in this little social experiment academic performance doesn't mean shit in the real world and social adjustment is hard to measure but you can sure spot it from a mile away speaking just speaking from personal experience so what this guy fails to realize is he literally just said academic performance doesn't mean anything and he's talking about state academic performance. And he's, and he's, yeah. Well, he's talking <laughs> in his mind. He's actually trying to tell me that it, the fact that homeschool academic performance is better than public education doesn't matter. 
but he's revealing what leftists all believe and that the academic performance was never the point. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was never the point. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter. No. Yep. So I, so doesn't, I, doesn't mean I, I got this guy world. to quite literally in writing admit that they don't care about academic performance. They only care about making sure the kids are shoved into the system. They want to see them in. Yeah. And anybody who disagrees is stupid and smells like pee. Yeah. Well, it's typical. And possibly Hitler. It's typical from status. <laughs> you know what I mean? Agree yeah. with me on every point. And if you don't yeah. if you don't agree with me that the state should run healthcare, then you hate poor people and you want them to die. But it's not that you want the market to provide better services for yeah. them and that it will. It's always that you want people to die. <laughs> they also argued that they don't like the fact that parents get to pick the curriculum. Ooh. Which I also found maddening because I thought, well, why, okay, wow. So – so letting politicians that you don't like or have never met and didn't vote for, letting them pick the curriculum is better. Right. Versus me who is hands-on. I know my kids. I know their learning styles. I know what they need. Right. And I can pick – and we can pick the curriculum together, right. which we do. Yeah. We have a – It's a tailored – it's a tailored curriculum, tailored education for each kid. I mean every person's unique and different, right? And that goes back to what you were talking about, about how you, how you did not excel in school. Right. Who knows how you might have thrived in an alternative school, right? And or with homeschooling or with unschooling, there's there's no telling how well you might have thrived. Sure, you know. So th this concept that we take everybody, shove them into the same box, and that it's all going to turn out okay, and then that that's what's necessary for well-adjusted adults, is ludicrous. Oh, absolutely. Not to mention the fact that, as I've already said, my kids already have life skills at ages five and nine that most college students don't have, right? Because of the hands-on experience they have with with my wife and I. So all of these tropes are, are, they're all myths and they're easy to bust. Right. I love this conversation because it, it gives me a little bit of regret that I, that I, you know, had to go through what I went through. I was through. a 4.0 student, by the way. The <laughs> you see, I did excel academically, but I hated school. Really? I was very good at it. Like, well, you were disciplined, I'm a very organized, disciplined, structured yeah. guy. Like, you know, give me a chapter to read. I'll read it. I'll spit out a 1500 page essay on it. Like, you know, you, you go fix you. You probably could like fix a car, right? Like you maybe you're good not as good as you think I could. Okay, well <laughs> I don't know something, but let's say the mechanic can fix the car. Well, I can't do that shit. I'm not very good with my hands. I can't build a house. I can't fix a car. But boy, howdy, I can watch you do it and then write a five page essay on <laughs> on, on why it was important that you did it the way you did it with you know while integrating the socioeconomics of it in northern idaho right. like i could do that you know that's but but i, I just because i could do it doesn't mean I, I care for it that much which is why i only got my bachelor's and then i was done i was like that's like, i'm done with speaking this of the real world i wanted more real world experience and i was like i'm done i've had enough of school this is right this, this academia is bullshit and i've had enough uh, <laughs> so you know but here you and i are together talking about these things and and being uh, of, uh, I don't want to say of one mind, but agreeing on a lot of this stuff, we've come to the same logical conclusions while being completely academically different. Sure. And both of us have are experiencing uh, some form of success in business, uh, while you know, while again being very academically different. Sure. It just, it just stands to reason that uh, a one size fits all approach is total garbage and that's what public education is and yeah. a very expensive one at that oh yeah yeah and I, that's actually a subject that we haven't really touched on but like i've noticed that just in in our little community here with like me you steven andrew david um you know ken it, we're all very different people on the surface if you were to go up to me and have a conversation with me politics aside 
and just said, what kind of person is Jordan? Well, what does Jordan do? Well, Jordan does this for a living and he fights people in a cage and he, he goes hunting and th those are his things. And you go to Paul and you say, well, what, what are Paul's interests? Well, Paul runs a smoke shop and he loves a good beer and he loves a good sake and he loves a cigar. And I play on, paintball and basketball. It plays paintball. You know, on like, the surface, we're completely, completely different, different people. And yet we can sit here both. And, and again, it, based on voluntary relationships and self-interest where we look and we go, we can sit here and talk like we're best friends, basically. We are like best friends. We, and we are best. About? Yeah, that's true. Oh, we, we, are, we, are, we, we are. What are you are trying to tell friends. me, Jordan? I don't mean it like that. You know you know what I'm oh, saying. Man. We're on the surface. This is going to become an episode of Mari. Oh, Mari right goodness. before our eyes. Uh, I thought you loved me. On the, on the surface, you would think, what do these guys have in common with each other? And we start talking and all of a sudden it's like, we've got more. We're an, we're an hour and 20 minutes into this right now. Yeah, sorry for the length. No, 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 it's good. <laughs> it's good. I mean, you, you just, it's amazing. I guess what, what my point I'm getting at too with all this is, even though sometimes it's, I, I, I'm, I'm weird in the way I make points, but what I'm getting to it with this is it's amazing what this community or what this mindset does for people. Even though you don't maybe agree on certain issues of how to do things, you agree on freedom. And yeah, that's really the, the point. Once we've established the baseline principles, yeah, which is why last two weeks ago that podcast was a, kind of an important topic is because once you establish terms, definitions, and baseline principles, and if we realize that we share those, we have common ground there, then everything else really doesn't matter. Right. They're, they're interesting. We don't necessarily agree with them, but I'll find it interesting. Sure. Nonetheless, and be like, oh, well, maybe I don't agree with that, or I love that part of you, and I don't agree with that part of you. But at the end of the day, we agree that we agree in the NAP, the non-aggression. Exactly. We agree that you're not going to hurt me, and I'm not going to hurt you. And Absolutely. As long as we've established that, holy smokes, man, we're going to have a good time. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing the diversity I see in the Liberty community. You know, Steve's you know? a brewer. Dave yeah. Wallace you know, he, he, he's an internet entrepreneur, right? Uh, Andrew Esselbach is an engineer, you know, you're a salesman and a cage fighter. Your wife is a beautician, <laughs> right? I'm a tobacconist, right? My wife is a, an herbalist. I mean, you it, know, it's, it's amazing. Like, uh, Wallace's wife is an author. And meanwhile, all of us also raise kids and, and, and have fun together too. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and Wallace and Peg, they homeschool as well. That's so cool. And we are like, so it, it, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I got a buddy who I just added to our group on there. He is an active service military member who's an anarchist. Isn't that <laughs> how, amazing? How does how does he manage that? Well, we're going to have him on the podcast, but I'll do a oh, little. I hope so. I'll, I'll do a little Fun. plug for him. Is that he was a, a longtime minarchist for a long, long time, and then we started talking online. We became friends, started talking, and I'd like to say that I had a a part in his transition over through talking about voluntarism and, and anarcho-capitalism. But the switch happened and it was immediate. I mean, he was like, he went from one to the other and he went, I can't believe this. I can't believe, okay, now this all makes sense to me. It's like something clicked in his mind, but now he's in the position where he knows kind of what he's doing and who he's working for. And, but he's already signed a contract. So he's actually in a really hard position. Yeah. That's, that, that's what I immediately went through my mind was how hard that would be then to wake up every day and and live that life right being an anarchist having that mindset knowing what you know but, sure so sure. i look forward to that uh so we'll we'll i like, we'll pull it back in here and then we'll wrap it up and we'll do a teaser for next week because i actually forgot to mention i think i've got next week dialed in uh perfect or not next week excuse me two weeks, two weeks from now, now. The next the next podcast cool. um so as far as so man I, we could do another three hours on the homeschooling thing because i've I got like so much more i really want to share it's it's been a, a fantastic experience it's not for everybody but it's been a fantastic experience and it's, it's, i will i will uh i will end 
on this topic with this. If any of you guys who are listening are curious about it, or if you know anyone who is curious about unschooling or homeschooling or alternative schooling, uh, please feel free to reach out to me, uh, reach out to Jordan, reach out to my wife, Mary Banducci, and we will we would love to send you uh, in the right direction for where to find those resources. Right. We have some, but we also can point you to a cornucopia of resources. And then, like I said earlier, Carrie McDonald is a fantastic resource. Just a quick Google search, will you'll, you'll find her. Uh, Foundation for Economic Education has some good articles that are a good place to start. Uh, Reason.com has some good articles. But then there are, there's just, oh my gosh, uh, almost an unlimited supply of curriculums, resources, groups, co-ops. It's a burgeoning movement for sure. And especially right. with the COVID thing, uh, enrollment in TechTrap, for example, has tripled in Idaho. It's tripled wow. just this season alone. It's amazing. Homeschooling has is set to double, triple in some states. Um, in a span of three years in North North Carolina is a good example because they really uh, they keep very good stats in North Carolina. I don't know why, but yeah. they do for homeschooling. And it has gone from 25,000 people like five years ago to 90,000 people who homeschool. Wow. Just growing. So it's, it's a it's a yeah, it's a growing movement. You're not alone. And all of the myths that you hear or that you may hold on to. They're bustable. Right. Most of them are not true. And there's always exceptions to the rule. Sure, but that applies sure, across sure. the board. You sure. know what I mean, just like there are there are people who go through public education and they come out OK, you know, so. Yay. So, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, so there's always exceptions to the rule. Not everybody who's publicly educated is an idiot and not everybody who homeschools is maladjusted. In fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> it took me 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I will throw this little tidbit in and I am going to. Yeah, beat toot my own horn real quick. But we, <laughs> you telling me about how you won the de- you almost won the debate. You took second uh, for uh, the anti Lincoln speech, mm. which I, I love. That's great because that's a hard that's a hard one to do in in that contemporary oh, society. Boy. I got a lot of well, slack my uh, my senior year, uh, I was political science major, and one of the one of the year ending events that we always had was a debate within the department, a full on like real Roberts Rules debate where you know teams and a full audience like a full auditorium audience and, and that was a lot of fun and that last year i actually beat my opponent in a debate that was nuclear energy versus uh versus quote-unquote renewable energy okay or not renewable but uh versus green energy were you on the? i took the side of nuclear power i figured you would and beat and i won the debate on a college campus that's pretty cool for nuclear power that's pretty cool. So, because uh, they're all, anti- I mean, they're all oh, oh, Chernobyl and, oh, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. That's pretty cool. You no, know, that was definitely one of the highlights of my college career, I suppose. But so there we, so we have that in common, even though maybe academically you didn't excel. And, and uh, but, the, you know, we both hone in on debate, right? We both hone in on, uh, on, on critical thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And logical. Yep. And I think reasoning. that's what it is. I think that's, you know, people say, they'll tell me, like, Oh, you just love debating people. Well, no, I like thinking critically I do. about something. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely don't mind debating somebody, but I, I like critically thinking about something. And I have a problem with seeing something that's clearly false and not addressing it. Yeah. That's another thing I have a big problem that I need to work on, really, because it takes so much time. Dude, Mary and, and I have that oh. conversation, I think, every night. She's like, honey, are you coming to bed? And I go, wait, wait, hold on. Someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> I have to take care of this. And you know what? The world hangs in the balance. And if I don't spank this guy right now, I'm like, I cannot go to bed. I've been a lot better lately at things that are not on my posts. 
If it's not on my post, I've been doing much better at not engaging with them. But if it's on my post, I'm, I almost feel the need to, I have to make an example of you. So, so the next person that sees this will not jump on my post and do the same thing. And, and some people tell me, they said, man, you're just so mean and so rude. Well, if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, You've seen over and over and over the proof that I've given you on any issue, whatever, whatever issue that it is, on why the state is pretty terrible. So when you jump on there after seeing science all this is stuff, settled. yeah, the science is settled. Okay, we can we can take away your funding then, right? Well, it's not that settled. It's not that settled. But I mean, you've seen, if you're friends with me, you've seen the countless uh, sources, the arguments, the things. So when you jump on there and when you go, when you say something as low IQ as well, we can't end the drug war. Then you have drugs all over the streets. You better expect me. When someone breaks in your home, who would you rather call? Police yeah. or a crackhead? Oh, oh, oh. Like, Wait a minute. Yeah. Those are my two options? The, yeah. Are you, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's correct. Right. <laughs> so if you if if you do that, I be ready because I'm going to, especially on my own page. If it's somebody else's page, I might just let it go. I might get, you know, one line or whatever. But yeah. Anyways. Yeah, well, and there's no accounting for tone. <laughs> when you're texting and that's my problem yeah. i mean i'm arrogant in real life and i come off as arrogant in the in the digital life as well unfortunately so right what, what are you gonna do when i think i'm typing stuff up and it's super gentle and i'm like okay I, that was a pretty friendly comment and then they're like why are you yelling at me right so I said, wait a minute what why are you so oh, angry I'm like, yeah, why are you so angry? i'm not angry at all i just think extortion's wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, well i suppose i suppose yeah man we could get like if uh, I want to come back at this topic at another point and I'm going to make it a little more structured. And I think I'm going to do, a, I think I'm going to do a myth busting episode for this. So I'll table this one for another time and I'll go through a nice structured bullet point myth busting list is what I think I want to do. Sure. Cause this one's really near and dear to my heart and it's a good, it's a good topic and it's con constantly evolving. So anyways, yeah, feel free to reach out to me or Jordan or anybody. If you guys have any, any questions about alternative schooling, I would, would love to share resources and experience with you. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Love you all. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Cheers. Cheers.